Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Call for repentance that humbles. Call for repentance that humbles. It humbles you. It makes you see that I am not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's honor. I'm not worthy of God's favor. I'm not worthy of God's treasures in heaven. I'm not worthy of that. Hard, I know, for us to present that message to our world. But there is no other gospel than a gospel that calls us sinners. There's a strange and mysterious character in the Bible, sometimes called Simon the Magician. He was a celebrity in his day who publicly declared faith in Christ. But Simon was missing an important element of faith, humility. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explores this story and why we need to call people to humble themselves and repent as we advance the gospel. I'm Dave Drury. Now open your Bible to Acts chapter 8, verse 9, as Pastor Mike begins a brand new message titled, Calling People to Repentance. I do most of my important business and written communication online these days. The physical mailbox at the end of my driveway rarely contains more than junk mail. <laughs> a lot of junk mail. It's not that I don't occasionally get an important letter or two. I do, but it's so hard to sort out because it seems like every other piece of mail I have says on the front of it, important. Critical information enclosed. Open immediately. Check included. I mean, you get all that on the you know, front of these envelopes. They promise so much and you open them and they deliver so little. I heard a guy once say that every single piece of mail that he gets in his mailbox, he immediately throws directly in the trash. He never even looks at it. I thought, wow. I mean, I'm not quite there, but I understand the sentiment. I get it because it's, it's mostly just nonsense of stuff that's in my mailbox saying it's important. You open it up and you realize it's not important at all. I get it. Much like that when it comes to us as Christians doing what we have been learning in Acts chapter 8, we're called to do, and that is to advance the gospel, the good news. Think about that. Nothing could have been emblazoned on an envelope more important than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, these are big words, God and Christ and heaven and hell. And I mean, these are huge things that we are presenting to people. And sadly, much like the guy that I just mentioned, uh, people are taking that envelope of information, whether it's in our conversation, a track or a sermon, and immediately throwing them directly into the trash can because they've opened enough of those in the past to realize there's not much there. Now, you can blame some of that on hard-heartedness of our non-Christian friends and neighbors, but a lot of that really is the fault of those who have sent those communiques, and they really have nothing to do with the reality of the gospel. The gospel is huge. It's big. And the kinds of things that are said in the pages of Scripture about heaven and hell and the afterlife and Christ and God, those are gigantic topics, and they're jarring. And yet most of what people have heard is the tripe and the cliches and the platitudes and the sentimental views of God, that he's some kind of guru or self-help person or someone that's going to help you achieve your best. And so they open these after a while and go, I, I don't want anything to do with it. Then you come along and you come along, perhaps I trust, with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and they say, you know, been there, done that, don't want to hear it. They tune you out immediately. 
It's like that old Wendy's commercial in the 80s, right? The old lady said, where's the beef? I, I think it's time for us to get back to the meat of the gospel. And I think a lot of you are here because that's what we're trying to do in the book of Acts is to understand that. We've looked at the supremacy of Christ. We've looked at the reality of what took place on the cross. We've seen so many things already in the first seven and a half chapters that remind us of the significance of this. You just cannot turn your nose up at this. This is something that demands either your full-blown repudiation and rejection or your full and complete submission. I mean, that, that's where we're left with all of this. And that's important. And while we focused on various aspects of it, I want to focus on a part of it today that when you open these envelopes that say Christianity, the Bible, truth, heaven and hell, you often don't even find this mentioned. And that's the word repentance. Just no discussion of that, it seems, in a lot of pitches for God these days. Repentance. That doesn't fit in a lot of people's vocabulary. Some people have told me after years of going to church, that when they hear a sermon or they read something or they go through our partners program or discipleship program, they say something like, well, I've never even thought of it. I've never considered it. I've never even understood it. And I think to myself, well, then you haven't had the meat of the gospel ever presented to you. Not to mention the information, but now the response that's required of you, which is biblical repentance. We've got to make sure we don't fall into the trap of bringing to our neighbors and coworkers some tailored, some truncated, some emasculated, eviscerated, some anemic gospel. We've got to bring the whole gospel, the real gospel, the biblical gospel to our friends and neighbors. And I want you to look at a passage while the word is not there, the elements of repentance are there. And it sets the stage for us by an example of Philip sharing the gospel in some big city in Samaria that's left unidentified. But here are these people in a community that are hearing Philip come and preach. And it's just like the information we've had, we can, we can safely assume that, that Peter has brought, that Stephen has brought, that you need to repent, that Christ is Lord, that there's no name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, the reality, the sharp edges of the gospel, we're sure we're on the lips of Philip. But what's interesting as we study this passage, if you turn there to Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 9, what we see in this text is the description, really, if you think about it comparatively, a great lengths of people that are hearing the gospel, one in particular. And I think it's important for us to get this because in some ways we're dealing with this every time we share the gospel with someone. In this case, it happens to be a Samaritan celebrity, and that's exactly what he is, a celebrity. And if you know what it's like to present the gospel to a celebrity, you'll know that that seems to magnify all the problems that we often have just talking to our next door neighbor. Because in some ways, it's just only different by degree. So study with me this morning, if you would, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, as we look at Philip coming into Samaria, he's doing things, as we saw last week, quite unique and unusual in Scripture. I know people think it's on every page, but it's not. When God endows people with a supernatural ability to break natural law, that is a huge thing, and it's happened in very few cases, in very few segments and periods in biblical history, and here we have... Philip being able to heal paralyzed people in Samaria. That's a big deal. And it gets the attention of the people. And there's one particular person that Luke, under God's direction, wants us to understand and see if we don't see some of this at some scale in people's lives every time we open our mouths about the gospel in our generation. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Follow along as I read it for you from the English Standard Version. It says, 
but there was a man named Simon, very common name in the first century, by the way, and it's not Simon Peter, you know, this is a different Simon, as was explained here, who had previously practiced magic in the city. Simon the magician, he's often called outside of the Bible, or as the old expressions, Simon Magnus. Magnus is this name for the person that was practicing magic. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that, of course, is something that is unusual, and it says he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great, healthy self-view. <laughs> and you know what? He was successful at that, getting that view across to other people. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, whether you were, you know, kind of reading the, the, the pop magazines about who the great celebrities are, the influencers are, the greatest, all the way down to the person on the street, the guy that's uh, working as the, as the, you know, the horseshoe guy in town. Yeah, they all, oh yeah, we know about Simon. They were saying, this man, he's the power of God that is called great. Well, you know, some people think they're God's gift to the world. Well, celebrities have no problem getting that point across in one way or another. Well, they bought this, as a lot of people do with the celebrity culture that we live in, which is just like celebrity culture then. Everyone has their celebrities, and this culture had its celebrity, and here was Simon, and they said, he's the great gift of God. He's the power of God. He's, he's great. And just to recapitulate, just to summarize verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time, it wasn't a flash in the pan, this is a long-term A-lister in Sumerian Hollywood. Long time, he had amazed them with, with his magic. But look what was happening here, this evangelistic endeavor in Samaria. But when, when they believed Philip, the people that were paying attention to this great guy, as he preached good news, right? There's the euangelion. We get the word right, evangelical from this. The good news, the good news that we can be forgiven. And here's how God determines to describe it to us. He encapsulates it this way about the kingdom of God, which is a very strategic way to say this, as we'll see. And the name of Jesus Christ, if I'm going to talk about someone, I usually don't say their name. It's not just talking about a moniker, some kind of appellation, some kind of label. We're talking about the fact that name as authority, right? That's the idea in scripture, the name of this person. Like we, you might yell out, stop in the name of the law. This is representing the authority, the sovereignty of this person, the oversight of this person, the name of Jesus Christ. Now, when Philip preached that, the people were responding. They were baptized, both men and women. Just like in verse 11, there were all kinds of people amazed at Philip. Matter of fact, verse 10 says, from the least to the greatest, we got all kinds of people here responding positively to the gospel in Samaria. Even, verse 13, Simon himself believed, which is a word that describes one aspect of what it is to respond to the gospel, but it's not something that is isolated. You can't just say, hey, he believed the gospel and say, oh, well, there you go. Because as James says, even the demons believe, but that's not the kind of saving faith that we're talking about in scripture. There's more to it than that. But he had a response and it was positive and he continued with Philip. He wanted to be with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles, as it said up there in verse seven and eight, it says, he was amazed. Matter of fact, you should read it this way. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed he was amazed, right? Why? Because everyone was amazed at him. Now he's amazed at Philip. Now you're going to see, and it's important to get this right out of the gate, that whatever happened here to Simon, this celebrity, it wasn't a textbook conversion. As a matter of fact, you got every reason to believe that the way Luke presents it to us, even in the way it's said here, this is a, a phony conversion. Now I know you've never seen a celebrity claim Christ and be a phony conversion. I know you've never seen that before. 
but it happens a lot. Drop down in this passage, if you would. Scroll down to verse 21. We'll just get into the middle of this. But it says, Peter comes to town and he says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. So whatever it was, much like the demons, there wasn't a right heart before God. Repent. Apparently that's not what happened here, but it needs to now. Therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So we know where this is going, or at least we should. So Simon the celebrity is not truly converted here, but he gets in the group and we'll try to analyze why. He wants to follow along with Philip. Now, let's understand this just a little bit if we can. Up in verses 9 through 11, let's understand perhaps why there might be some help in looking through this description of him. He's amazing people. He thinks he's great, and people think he's great, and everyone's paying attention. That's called celebrity. The thing about this that's weird is magic, the word magic. What, what in the world is that? What kind of magic was he doing? If I said to you, Houdini is a magician, you'd, you'd know what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, one of his great tricks, he would uh, get himself put into chains. He would have himself bound with chains, and then he would get out of them. And they'd go, whoa. And Houdini would say, I'm a, I'm a magician. Right? Magician. In Luke, there was a man called, in our English text, a demoniac who was bound with chains, and he got out of those chains. He did it by demonic power. He burst the chains and had supernatural strength. Now, Houdini was a magician, and I guess if you want to say, hey, you're breaking natural law by the power of demons, you'd say the demoniac of the Gerasenes that lived among the tombs was also a magician. He was getting out of chains too, but just, uh, that's a little different. One's doing tricks, sleight of hand. You know, one is doing uh, uh, illusions. The other one's doing the real thing because he's like got demons in his life. David Copperfield, you've seen his specials back in the day, makes things appear. Wow. How's he do that? Tricks, illusions. There were sorcerers in Egypt back in the book of Exodus who made things appear. And they're described as magicians in our English text, Hebrew word for that, obviously, in the Old Testament, that describes what they're doing. And as the Bible says, even on into the New Testament about these magicians, they were doing something by the power of Satan, demonic beings. They had the ability to make things appear, but it wasn't, it wasn't they weren't tricksters. They weren't illusionists. So the question is, what's going on here? Simon the magician. Now, Part of this, I think, is helpful as people were amazed at him. Look at verse 11. For a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. Look at the bottom of verse 13 again. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I think that by itself starts to help us understand what kind of magician he was. There was a medium who would contact the dead in the Old Testament. She's called a witch in the Bible. And she lived in a place called Endor. And you might remember the witch at Endor story in the Old Testament. And she's making a living by contacting the dead, just like we have in our county right now. We got people that are making a living by trying to get you in touch as a medium with dead people. Well, that was her shtick. That's what she did. And what happens was when the king of Israel shows up in disguise and really desperately, I mean, frantically desperate. He wanted to hear some information from, from 
Samuel. He wants to hear from Samuel. So he goes in there and asks if she would call up Samuel. And do you remember the story, Sunday school grads, since you know everything about the Bible and everybody's names in the Bible? What happens? Samuel shows up. Samuel shows up, and what was her response? To use the text here, she was amazed. She screamed. Now, I'm thinking if you do this for a living and someone comes in and asks for someone and they show up, you ain't gonna be amazed because that's your job, right? She's amazed, which shows me she's a con man woman. She's a con. She's a charlatan. She's a trickster. Just like most people that you hear today want you to pay them to contact your, your great uncle or whatever. They're taking your money and they're scammers and you just look at all the ways and the tricks that they do that. Now, there are times where you have people in touch with, according to Deuteronomy 18, where you have people that are actually doing things within the spirit realm that God condemns as evil, as an abomination to him, and they're connecting with spirits, fallen spirits. That's rare, at least in the occurrence and eruption of it. It happens in the life of Christ. It happened in certain places in Canaan, but that's a reality, but those are two different kinds of magicians. I'm just saying here because Simon the magician was amazed when Philip is doing what he claims to be doing, which is the whole point. He does magic. And now all of a sudden someone's doing magic and he's amazed at the magic. I'm thinking, you're, I mean, you're going to fist bump Philip going, hey, you're doing the stuff I'm doing. It ain't going to be no big deal. But instead, he wants to join kind of the, you know, the union for magicians with Philip. And he wants to, as it says, continue with Philip and learn about Philip and learn what Philip is doing because he's the con man learning from the guy who's all of a sudden coming to town doing the real thing. He's healing paralytics. So, and again, I'm not going to die on this, this hill here, but I think he's a con man. Not that it matters because he convinced everybody in town he was someone great. And so he had the fame, he had the celebrity, I'm sure he had the money to go with it, and everyone thought he was great, and here comes Philip coming to town, and it's not until Peter comes to town that we have some of the text of what was said, but Peter's now saying, hey, you need to repent. Repentance is what needs to happen in anyone's life if they're gonna respond rightly to the gospel. Let me say this, how many envelopes that say become a Christian that come in the conversations and sermons and tracts and books that get out there under the name of Christianity and they never even mention the word? And all I'm saying is one of the things that makes it so hard, and maybe one of the reasons we kind of tailor and, and tuck back and amend the gospel just a little bit with that word, we don't want to talk about repentance, it's like we don't want to talk about hell, is because when you start dealing with egos, which exist not only in the celebrity world, they also exist in your office and in your neighborhood, uh, we don't want to talk about repentance. But repentance is required. Without repentance, we will not see God. To quote, Luke 24, the whole point is for us to go into the world and preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I want my neighbors to have their sins forgiven. The only way to get there is through the portal of repentance. And repentance is going to take Mr. Big Shot and it's going to remind him, though he thinks he's great, that he's not great. Let me just put it out there for you. If my job as an evangelist is to say to you, Christ died for your sins, right? I'm going to have to deal with you as a sinner. And the whole point of repentance in scripture is you recognizing that, that's called confession, and turning from that, you've got to own it. And here's something that doesn't equal greatness, being a sinner who deserves God's punishment. And you don't have to be a celebrity making movies in Hollywood to answer this question in the affirmative. Here's the question. Are you a good person? Ask every non-Christian you know, are you a good person? 
And unless they're having a super, super, super bad day, they're going to say, yeah, I'm a good person. And you press that and start using your Bible verses and Old Testament law or whatever you want to do. Well, no one's perfect, but I'm a good person. They may not be going around saying, hey, I'm the power of God that is called great, saying that I'm someone great. But to say that you are a good person is to certainly fly in the face of the gospel call for you to see yourself as a transgressor of the law, guilty of sin, and worthy of God's punishment. That's, you're going to struggle with that. And every neighbor, every friend, every person you deal with is going to struggle with that. Repentance, which usually when you start to see it unpacked in scripture, is going to, it's going to happen in the context of people grieving over their sin, of weeping and mourning and, and having a, uh, even a rending of their clothes in repentance, which is the ancient Near Eastern sign of, of being destitute and, and stricken with grief. That's what repentance looks like. You can see the difference between a synthetic Christianity that's pitched to our neighbors and coworkers and friends where we say, hey, come to Christ and maybe he'll merge into your life, which by the way, is a great celebrity gospel pitch, right? Christ can come in and make your life even, even better. Subtitle of our sermon today in calling people to repentance. Let's get clear about the aspects of that that certainly fly in the face of a guy who's saying, I'm someone great. Sin says you're not great, you're a sinner. Repentance, number one, is a call that is always going to bring you low before God. I put it this way, call for repentance that humbles. Call for repentance that humbles. It humbles you. It makes you see that I am not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's honor. I'm not worthy of God's favor. I'm not worthy of God's treasures in heaven. I'm not worthy of that. Hard, I know, for us to present that message to our world but there is no other gospel than a gospel that calls us sinners. Glad you could join us here at the start of a new message titled, Calling People to Repentance. You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Fabares. And you just heard the Bible account of a man called Simon the Magician, a man who needed to humble himself and repent. Well, that's a man like all of us. You can listen to the full-length version of this message and much more from Pastor Mike when you visit our website, focalpointradio.org. Now, for many Christians, the idea of calling people to humble themselves and admit that they are sinners sounds like a formidable challenge. But the truth is, everyone has lingering questions about God, sin, and forgiveness on their mind. These are universal questions that people are seeking to answer and you know the truth. So to help you strengthen your faith and prepare you to share biblical answers to some of these commonly asked questions, Pastor Mike has selected this month's featured resource titled, How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. Pastor Mike highly recommends this book as a quick reference for solid answers to fundamental questions about God. And it's written by highly respected evangelist Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams. To make a generous donation to support this program and request a copy of How to Know God Exists, get in touch with us today at focalpointradio.org or by calling 888-320-5885. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And right now we're offering a free gift to our listeners who contact Focal Point for the first time. 
It's a fascinating booklet titled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. This easy-to-read pamphlet speaks to the very heart of the hope we have in Christ and explains how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the prophecies about the Messiah. Get your free copy when you get in touch by calling 888-320-5885 or at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back again tomorrow to hear the next installment of a message called Calling People to Repentance from Pastor Mike Fabares and our month-long motivational series called Gospel Advance. That's coming up Thursday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.